2 Kings chapter number 7. And if you find that, I would invite you to stand. We're going to deal with a, a, a pretty significant amount of scripture this morning, but for sake of time, we're just going to read two verses out of this text in chapter number 7. 2 Kings 7. And I'm going to invite you to look with me in verse number 8. 2 Kings 7, verse 8. The Bible says, And when these lepers came unto the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment. They went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent, carried thence also and went and hid it. But notice verse number nine, this will be the thrust of everything we talk about today. The Bible says, then they said one to another, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning night light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity again to be in your house. And Lord, we understand that missions is your heartbeat. We, we understand what it means to you. And Lord, we just want to get on board and with your program, with your plan and with what you would have each of us to do individually. So I pray that today and, and especially this morning right now that you would just speak to our hearts, challenge and help us with the thought before us in Jesus precious name. Amen. You may be seated. It was March 1865 in Richmond, Virginia. The signs in the store windows told the story of war. Bacon, $20 a pound. Live hens, $50 each. Beef, $15 a pound. Yeah, I said bacon was $20 a pound. Beef was $15 a pound. Bacon was more expensive than beef because bacon is awesome. That's it. <laughs> Butter, $20 a pound. That's how things were during this civil war. Societies, cities, they can be reduced to desperate conditions at difficult times. If you don't believe me, ask Samaria. Our text prior to what we read this morning tells us a little bit about a situation like that. Donkey's head. I don't think it's probably very tasty, but the Bible almost goes into sticker shock over the price it once fetched in the Samaritan markets. It says back, and if you want to look there in chapter six and verse number 24, it says it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered his host and went up and besieged Samaria. There was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it. And an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. These prices are exorbitant. They call for exclamation marks. Eighty shekels for a donkey's head? More astronomical still is the going rate for pigeon droppings. Five shekels. I don't know for certain what the plan is for lunch, but if Brother Daniel says, hey, I've got this great place here in town and they serve pigeon droppings and donkey's head, um, I'm not going to be probably as excited as if he says, let's go to Mexican food or something like that. 
One doesn't have to be a sophisticated economist to recognize that, that there's something going wrong here. There's a principle of supply and demand, and it seems very clear that the supply is limited. In the last days of serious siege against Samaria, there's virtually no food at all. The, the demand is going sky high, and people are willing to pay more than a month's wages for food that is hardly even edible, much less kosher. The Bible tells us in, in verse 26 of chapter number six that the king of Israel was passing by on the wall. And it talks about how there was a woman that cried unto him saying, help my Lord, O king. But notice what he says in verse 27. If the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor, out of the wine press. See, things were so bad in Samaria, the capital city of the northern kingdom, that even the king was utterly helpless. He, he, he literally utters, if, if the Lord can't help you out of this situation, how do you think I'm going to help you out of this situation? There was no grain. There, there, there was no food. I, I, they were at a point that only God could save them, even if in their minds he would and he could. In the end, seems as you read the story, the Israelites turned to the most unsavory, and inhumane of all solutions to solve their hunger problems. Cannibalism. This fulfilled, of course, the curses that Moses had pronounced in the book of Deuteronomy, namely that when the people sinned against God, that they would suffer so severely from siege that famine would drive the mothers to savagery. And the curse of Moses was playing out before them and it had come true because one helpless woman who made a death pact with her neighbor cries out. And she says this, she says, this woman said unto me in verse 28, give thy son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So she tells the king, we boiled my son, we did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. It came to pass when the king heard these words of the woman that he rent his clothes and he passed by upon the wall. The people looked and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. Upon hearing this chilling tale of this mother, the king could only tear his robes in anguish. Famine had reduced the Israelites to absolute degradation and their king to utter despair. Samaria was literally the city of the living dead in which mothers were devouring their own children. I'm just telling you, it was a desperate situation. It was an awful situation. It was a, a situation that most of them would have looked at and said, this is completely hopeless. But then we get into chapter seven and, and the story takes an amazing turn. And it talks about how in the last days of the siege, there were these desperate people. But among these desperate people, the most desperate of all were four lepers. And they were outside of the city gates. Tells us in verse number three of chapter seven, there were four less leprous men. They entering into the gate and they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city. And if we, we shall die there, and if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come and let us fall uh, upon the, unto the host of the Syrians. And if they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. 
And so here's these four leprous men, and as they're sitting there and they're considering their options, they realize they literally have nothing to lose. We go into the city, they're going to kill us. We stay here, we're going to die of hunger. There's no good answer any way we turn. And so since desperate measure or desperate times call for desperate measures, they decide we only have one possible chance. And that is if we desert to the enemy, maybe just maybe they'll spare us. And the most amazing thing happens. I, I believe in my heart. The lepers must have laughed about this every day for the rest of their lives. The Bible tells us they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots, the noise of horses, and even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and they fled for their life. It was just like it was in, in the days when Elisha was surrounded in Dotham and God defeated the enemy with his unseen army. It seems he'd done the very same thing here to the Syrians. I want you to imagine with me this morning the look on the faces of this leprous quartet as they snuck to the edge of the enemy camp. There spread before them was, was enough food and enough water to feed an army. They, they make their way to a tent and, and that tent is empty. They think something's up and so they go to another tent and that tent is empty. And before long they realize the entire camp is empty. There was enough of everything an army needs to wage war. There before their very eyes, there was tents, there was horses, there was donkeys, there was weapons, there was armor, there was silver, there was gold, everything they needed. But the whole camp was quiet and still. Not one single soldier was stirring. I can imagine the lepers blinked, looked at one another with wide eyes, and realized they were rich beyond their wildest dreams. They experienced, and this is the first point I want to draw from this passage, they experienced the surpassing joy of finding good news. They experienced the surpassing joy of finding good news. Look at verse 8 with me. The Bible says, And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp again, they went into one tent and did eat and drink. And they carried then silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. The, the lepers begin to run from tent to tent. They're looting everything they desired. It's, it's as some of you ladies it was, would think of this as like the greatest day ever because this was like the world's biggest shopping spree. I mean, it's amazing. They must have been deliriously happy rummaging through sacks. It's like going through a mall and nobody's there and you get to pick anything and everything from every facet of it that you want. Can you imagine them trying on clothes, munching on food? Hey, look at this. One, one might have said it. They opened up a purse filled with gold. This must be worth a fortune, they said. Or check this out. Man, I've been needing a new robe. The, the whole giddy experience can be summarized in a single phrase full of spiritual significance found in verse number nine. And it's simply this. I have a highlight in my Bible. This day 
is a day of good tidings. This day is a day of good tidings. These thrilling words, listen to me, they indicate that this Bible passage is more than simply an amusing story. It's teaching us something greater than what's just right here. It's teaching us about the joy of salvation. The story of Samaria is about the good news that God always brings to his dying people. His people and people in humanity, they are desperate. They are trapped by evil circumstances. They are surrounded by their enemies. They are caught in the acts of wicked violence one against another. They are on the very verge of extermination. They cannot save themselves. So to paraphrase the king of Israel, if the Lord does not help them, who can? Oh, but wait, the Lord, he helps them single-handedly, miraculously. He drives away all our enemies. In his grace, he feeds us, he clothes us, he rescues us from death. There is bread for the hungry, there is life for the dead. A table is spread before us in the presence of our enemies. Thus the people of God enter into the surpassing joy of finding good news. The New Testament uses the same word to describe what God has done for us in Jesus Christ as good news. It's, it's the, the Greek word we find, or the, the word we find gospel in the Greek, it, it simply means good news. And so when Jesus began his public ministry, he went around proclaiming, the Bible says, the gospel of the kingdom, or he went around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He said, repent ye and believe the gospel or repent ye and believe the good news. Quoting from the prophet Isaiah, he claimed that he had the spirit of the Lord had anointed him and anointed him to do what? To preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. Even the disciples use this vocabulary. And, and so when we open up our Bibles and we come to the New Testament and we find the gospels, what we really find is the good news according to Matthew and the good news according to Mark and the good news according to Luke and John. Similarly, the apostle Paul testified, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth. See, here's the good news. The good news of the gospel is the same good news that the lepers heard, only better. It's the story, the true story of dying people, of desperate people delivered by the mighty act of God. We ourselves were surrounded by enemies. We face sin in one direction and the devil in another direction and the death on another side. We were afflicted by disease from our fallen human nature. We lived in malice and envy, hating and hateful and hateful and hating one another. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But then God saved us single-handedly, miraculously. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to defeat death and the devil by dying for our sins on the cross. The good news of the gospel is simply this, that Jesus died, that he rose again, and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day. Any day when the gospel is proclaimed, any day when the gospel is believed, it is a day of really good news and it should bring joy. Whosoever receiveth Jesus Christ, they experience a surpassing joy when they find that good news. 
In fact, joy is what the angels promised when Jesus was born. They said, uh, they said, uh, they, they said that they had great or good tidings of great joy, which what? Which will be to all people. Joy is what the disciples experienced after Jesus was raised again. Two of them walked back to Emmaus. You remember the story with the risen Christ. And he opened the scriptures and he taught them all things concerning himself. He broke bread with them and before broke bread with them before he was finally taken away. And here's what they said. They worshiped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. You know, sometimes it doesn't seem that there's a lot of joy in our world. Most of the news seems to be bad news. World and national events are usually distressing. Local news is often too wretched to watch. You need me to pick me up? Well, get on social media. That'll put a smile on your face. There's nothing negative on social media. Or maybe there is. No, I'm saying the events of our own lives as we look around our world and, and our workplace and the schoolhouse and, and, and all the things going on, it's sometimes unpleasant. But in spite of it all, there is a deep and lasting joy for everyone who receives the good news of salvation from sin and death in Jesus Christ. By joy, I mean the happy contentment that is based on the fact that God will make everything come out right in the end. What a joyful thing it is. Remember the day you were saved? February 13th, 1983. Eight-year-old boy. I mean, we was in a tiny little church. I was sitting where I always sat over in my second row with my friends. Invitation came. I knew I needed to be saved, but I didn't want to mess up playing tag in the cornfield with my buddies after the service. And so I held on and I held on and I held on until I couldn't hold on anymore. Here's what I remember about that night. Two things. I remember going to my dad's office after services, kneeling down and asking Jesus to come in my heart. And I remember this. I remember thinking to myself, God, I don't know if all my words are perfect, but I want you to know I believe this with everything within me. And I know he saved me. Number two, I know this. When I walked out of that church that night, I didn't care about playing tag in the cornfields. I didn't care about anything else. I knew that this burden of sin, even from a preacher's kid at eight years of age, had been lifted from off of my shoulders. I'm telling you, everything had changed. And, and I walked out and everybody that walked out says, what are you doing standing here? And I'm like, I don't know. I just got saved. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. I just know it's the greatest thing ever. I, I went home and I climbed into my bunk bed that night and, and I lay down and I thought, man, it feels good to be saved. I went to sleep and I woke up the next day and I said, man, it feels good to be saved. And by the way, here we are 40 some years later and I still wake up every day and think, man, it's awesome to be saved. There's so much joy. One missionary went to communist China to teach English. While he was there, he gave a Chinese Bible to one of his students. One night, not long afterwards, he heard these strange sounds coming from the man's room. And so he left his room and went out into the hallway to investigate and as he came to the door, he began to listen and he heard, he heard laughing sounds. And, and the missionary, and he knocked on the, the door of the student and, and he asked him, what's going on? What's the matter? And the student looked up with tears streaming down his face and he said, with his Bible in his hand, now I know that there is joy in the world. 
See, this Chinese student was reading the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the sounds that he made was the joy that it produces when somebody accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And so point number one is simple. There is a surpassing joy when we find good news. But point number two is this, and this is where we get to missions. The urgent necessity of sharing the good news. The urgent necessity of sharing the good news. Good news is meant to be shared. Uh, in, in case anybody missed it last night, my Texas Longhorns went into Tuscaloosa and whooped up on the number three ranked Alabama. I, 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 I knew that wouldn't go over really well here, but it's really good news where I come from and the state in which I live. No, we have good news. We love to share it. Consider when the, the last time it was that, that you heard really, really good news and you kept it to yourself. You probably never have. See, good news is something that travels fast. That's why when the lepers started enjoying this, they began to have second thoughts. Joyful though they were, they began to have this uneasy feeling. They began to realize that something was wrong. Look at verse number nine. They said one to another, and if there's another phrase or another portion or group of words that I would want you to highlight this morning, it's these four words. We do not well. We do not well. Why? This day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. You see these, the, the words of these lepers, the words that if you allow it this morning, as it has in my own life, it, it would serve as a rebuke to every Christian when we have a silent testimony. They cried out and they said it very clear. We do not well. In his comment on this verse, one commentator, I don't agree with everything he says, but I like a lot of things. He says, Alistair Begg said, or warned, he says, we have good news, but we are more interested in saving it than sharing it. Can I just say there's something wrong with a Christian, with a church for that matter? who does not care to share the good news. It's really reprehensible to stay in one's tent, counting their fortune without ever going back to save the city. It's not enough to find the good news. It's not enough for us to enjoy the good news. It's not enough for us to celebrate the good news. Good news must be shared. Why should it be shared? I have two reasons and we're done. Number one, it should be shared because others are literally dying to hear it. Do you remember where this started? Do you remember how things were in Samaria? Do, do you remember what the moms were doing? Do, do you remember what they were giving for food that was not even edible? Do, do you understand and remember as they're there and they're feasting and they have found these great tidings that, that there are people in Samaria that are literally dying of hunger? 
I, I read these verses and I think to myself, as these lepers are there and they're, they're shoving their faces full of food and they're, they're taking all of these riches and they're hiding them away for themselves, it could be very possible. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to be too vivid in my imagination, but it could be very possible that the next mother has her baby in her hands and, and is thinking, uh, we're going to have to kill this baby in order for us to stay alive. No, that's how desperate things were. You understand, as we said in this auditorium today, we enjoy the air conditioning. We enjoy being around our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's children in this very community that are watching their mom and dad shoot up. There's children that are wondering where their mom and dad are. There's, there's women in this community that their husbands never came home last night. And the only hope that these people have is the Lord Jesus Christ. I had the opportunity this earlier this year to go to Japan. And, and I, I went because we have some missionaries out of our church over there. And it's the first time in, in, in that part of Asia and, and into Japan. And, and, and I remember the Wilhites, they, they took us and we, we were in Hokkaido, which is the, the, the upper part of Japan, the, the very northern part. It's the coldest and snowiest part of Japan. And, and they began to drive us around and really just a huge triangle around that, that whole island. Five missionaries. Millions of people. We went into city after city after city with 400, 500,000 people. And there's not a gospel preaching church in that community. We spent, my wife could verify this, we, we spent most of probably five days of, of our 10 days there in a van, just literally driving from city to city to city to city to city. You know how many church buildings I saw in that five days and all of those cities, the church building, I'm talking about church buildings of any kind. I only saw two church buildings and they were Catholic or something like that. I stood in the town where they're going to start a church I stood up on a little hill and by a lighthouse and I looked over their city, looked over the ocean, looked over all the lights as they came on in that city. And, and, and I thought to myself, if the Wilhites don't reach these people, they're going to die and go to hell. There are people that, that, that literally in these cities that will live their entire full lives and never have the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have found the treasure I have found the good news. I have everything that a person could ever dream of and they're never even gonna get the opportunity. Why? Because nobody's gonna tell them. In the 19th century, when the pioneer missionary Hudson Taylor traveled through China to proclaim the good news, he met one man who was a Buddhist teacher. The man had spent many years seeking the truth. He had studied Confucianism, Buddhism, Doism, but of course, he did not find the truth until he heard the good news about Jesus Christ. Then he became an evangelist, began to share the news, good news with other Buddhists. Not long after he was converted, the man asked Hudson Taylor, he said, how long has the gospel been known in England? And he was shocked to discover that England had known the gospel for hundreds of years. 
What? He exclaimed. For hundreds of years, you've had these glad tidings, and only now you have come to preach to us? My father sought after the truth for more than 20 years, and he died without ever finding it. Oh, why didn't you come sooner? The man's question haunted Taylor, as it should haunt every Christian. Why did you not come sooner? The gospel of Jesus Christ is not something to share when we get around to it. It's not something that we must, it is something we must share as soon as we can. We are called to pray for the lost, to invite them to church, to speak to them about the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to, to heed that, that call to the mission field, to give to missions, to send missionaries. What we do with the good news or what they do with the good news is between them and God. But we have to make sure that they find it because they're literally dying to hear it. Number two, and we're almost done. We need to get them the good tidings because it's going to bring them as much joy as it's brought us. Evangelism is not just a duty. Missions is not just a duty. It's a joy. The lepers discovered this. Can you imagine as they went back to, to the gate of the city, they weren't allowed in the city and they began to say, come on, there, there's food aplenty. I mean, I can see them. I mean, they still have crumbs on them, ketchup stains on their shirt. I mean, they're a mess. And they're like, there's plenty of food. Come on. Everything you want. Come on. What a joy it must have been. As they watched little children run out and run and get their first meal in weeks and weeks and weeks. Seeing family, see, see a whole community, a whole city turned around because they gave them the news. What a joy it must have been. Hey, time out. How many of you, and, and don't raise your hand, but how many of you ever had the opportunity to lead somebody else to the Lord Jesus Christ? If, if, if you, you in your heart can say, I, I, I have, I know, I've, I've definitely, I've been able to lead some people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you know what I'm about to say. There's no greater joy. No greater joy. There's nothing in this, in this lifetime that I have ever experienced that has brought me more joy than watching and allowing God to use me to bring somebody else to Jesus Christ, to, to go to their house because they visited our church and to walk into their living room and sit down with them and share the gospel with them and watch them get saved. I went to a man's house not long ago and, and I'm talking to him about the gospel and I'm, I'm not thinking I'm getting through and he's just kind of looking at me with his blank face. And finally he just looked at me and he said, stop, stop right there. And I thought I'd upset him. He said, I've had it. And then he raises his hands to the sky and he just looks up. He doesn't get on his knees. He just looks up and he says, I'm done. I believe you're the son of God. I believe that you are the savior and you're the only answer to my sin. And I'm asking you to come into my heart right now. I don't care who sees it. I don't care who knows it. I'm telling the whole world, I want you in my heart. I'm telling you, there's nothing like walking out of a visit like that. Do you have any idea of the joy? You see, sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we don't, in, in the world of missions, we don't get to see everything that our missions dollars does. But as a pastor, God's given me the opportunity to be on a lot of mission fields with a lot of missionaries. And I'm telling you, on their behalf, I've had many people come up to me put their arms around me on the mission field and hug me and thank me for sending the missionary so they could be saved. 
That's what God does with your missions dollars. And you may not see the full extent of that joy, but I'm telling you in heaven, you're going to understand your faithfulness in the area of missions. You're going to understand what God has done in and through it. Don't miss out on that joy. And so as we go into our world tomorrow, we're going to be surrounded by people that are desperate and doomed and helpless. We have what they need. Let's share it. As we go into this next missions year, let's get involved. Let's do all that we can because we are sitting in our tent and we have everything that a person could want, but we need to share it with others. So I'm going to ask you just a few questions by way of conclusion. And I'm going to say again, don't raise your hand, but I want you to answer in your heart. Number one, how many of you would be honest and say that you've never shared the gospel with anyone? A lot of people in this auditorium probably would say, preacher, I've I've never shared the gospel with anybody. You're like those lepers sitting in that tent. I'm begging of you, share the gospel. Find somebody that you can tell the good news to. Some of you would be in this auditorium and you, you would answer this question, that it's been a long time since you've shared the gospel with anyone. Get out, share the gospel, take a track, tell somebody about Jesus. How many of you are eternally grateful for the one who brought good tidings to you? They'll be eternally grateful if you take it to them. How many of you understand what you can do to reach this world for Jesus Christ through the area of missions? If it's, if it's not on my calendar, I don't do it. Um, I, I talk to people all the time like, hey, we need to get together. We need to do this. We need to go do this. We need to have lunch. But if I don't put it on my calendar, I, it just doesn't happen. There's just life is busy and so many things coming at me. And so I, I, have, to, I have to be regimented in my scheduling if I'm going to do certain things. You know, we need to be regimented about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I finished with this, but I, I've got two buddies that both pastor out in Arizona, Alfred King and John Vaught. And, and both of these men are guys that, 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 that love sharing the gospel maybe more than anybody I know. And I've been with them on a few occasions and, and it'd be like late at night and we would be somewhere and they'd be, they, they would just disappear for a few moments and, and I wouldn't know where they'd come, they'd go. And then 30, 45 minutes, they'd come back and, and it always confused me what they were doing. And so finally I asked him, I said, what's up? Why do you guys always disappear like that? Especially late at night. I mean, kind of freak thing do you guys got going on here? I mean, do we need to talk? You need counseling? What, what's going on? And they both said to me, they said, we made a commitment back in Bible college that we would never go to sleep at night without, sh- without sharing the gospel or passing out a track to at least one person. And so when they're leaving, it's because it's late at night and they know that night, that day's almost over. And so they drive to a gas station and they wait for God to lead them to someone that they can give a track to and share the gospel with. Can you imagine what would happen in this community if every person in here decided right now, I'm not going to go to bed at night unless I share the gospel or pass out a gospel track to at least one person every day. Can you imagine what a difference it would make in this world if every person in here just went ahead and scheduled and said, I'm getting involved in faith promise missions. I'm going to do more this year. Uh, I may not be able to do a lot more, but I'm going to do more this year. And you just determine right now today that you're going to do more. This is a day 
of good tidings. But we do not well if we don't share it with others.